And we've been uh, exploring over the days the ways in which uh, experience is conditioned. Particularly this phrase that you could probably all repeat in your sleep <laughs> when there's an experience, there's an object and attention and a way of relating to that object. And yesterday evening and this morning, Nathan was speaking uh, more about the way of relating. And today, to start off the talk, I'd like to speak a little bit about attention, um, which is, in my eyes, a really interesting thing. And so, you know, something we do, yeah, all the time when we're conscious and yet not something that we often bring attention to that's part of what we do um, through meditation practice and so it can be interesting to contemplate and to say you know when we're paying attention to something and as Nathan said this morning you know, giving our attention to something there's really beautiful language around attention actually yeah. in English we say giving um, our attention in Hebrew my uh, language of, of origin my mother tongue or whatever you want to call it <laughs> we say putting the heart that's the word for attention is to put your heart on something yeah. it's just, but you don't notice it when you say when you notice like whoa you know isn't that cool to give our attention, to put our heart yeah, with something, to something? It kind of points to uh, the power of attention. also points to um, uh, how profound a thing it is. Yeah. How profound a thing it is. So when we pay attention yeah, to something... One interesting thing that is happening is that we are usually kind of honing in, bringing our attention to a very particular part. So one phenomenon or, you know, an area, a particular sense door, out of kind of countless Phenomena and stimulation, stimulus, stimuli, <laughs> stimuli, letters yeah. that are going on. And when we give our attention, we're yeah, doing this, yeah, we're choosing uh, or it's going to a particular thing. It's really interesting to, to reflect on that. So, you know, right now, yeah. You're probably paying attention to the sound of my voice and the content of what I'm saying, but that's just one thing happening. Yeah? One thing out of countless things that you could be aware of. There's other sounds, there's other sights, yeah? there's contact sensations, there's so much that is going on, but that is the particular yeah, that we're paying attention to. Or, you know, we might um, be, um, we might have a painful or uncomfortable sensation as we're meditating. We might be feeling 
sleepy or restless. And the attention goes there. But what happens if we remember that's just one thing that is happening? One thing that's happening out of so much else. So that's one. I think I've only said one. <laughs> some, some interesting things about attention. Um, just to stay safe in case somebody goes back to the recording <laughs> and checks. Another interesting thing about attention is that what we pay attention to grows. What we pay attention to grows. And it grows in a few different ways. So when we pay attention to something, uh, the space that it occupies in our awareness usually grows. You can really feel it with something like discomfort in the body. We notice it, attention goes there, grows. Um, It also grows in the degree of importance. (laughs) It may feel like it has. The weight of it, as we're paying attention to it. And it also grows in the sense that it conditions the likelihood that we will notice it again, that we will give our attention to it again. Nathan was touching on it uh, this morning, but I want to pull that out a little bit more. So, you know, for example, there's really obvious things, you know, like kind of how we function as far as perception. We notice objects, and we don't notice the space that they're in. So right now in this room, yeah, we're noticing the things in the room, yeah, including the people, yeah, mats, the chairs, the cushions, the curtains, <laughs> radiators. We're noticing the things, the objects, but we're not noticing the space. Right? That's a habit of attention. And yeah, it's a functional aspect of perception, but it's formed through repetition. What we used to, what we tend to notice, we will notice more. Um, Another example of that, if anyone um, has ever uh, done kind of ongoingly a gratitude practice, if you've noticed that, if you kind of over a certain period of time, maybe as little as a week, I think the research shows of two weeks, Spend a few minutes a day reflecting on things that you're grateful for. You begin to notice more things that you're grateful for. It comes and we turn attention to a particular thing. We notice it. We put our heart on it. (laughs) We gift it with our attention and our resources. And... Over time, that will be something that we will notice more of. So we can say that it kind of matters what we pay attention to. It it kind of matters, or we might even say it matters a lot, what we pay attention to, because that shapes, um, shapes our experience. 
can shape our experience in the moment. You know, we've been doing a lot of it here over the days. Coming back to uh, well-being or attending to the unpleasant, not in the habitual rejected mode. So we've been doing a lot of that. It's important because it shapes our experience both in the moment and over time. In the moment and over time. In that uh, example of uh, gratitude practice, I think, is a, is a good indication of that. Um, you know, I can um, give, you know, another example I'm saying that and I realize it might be take a lot of time, but never mind, I've started. Then I, I shall be I shall continue. Um, so when was it? 9th of March 2020. Uh, Nathan and I uh, were scheduled to fly to Israel to spend time with our family there and teach there uh, for six weeks. The day before we flew, the Israeli government decided that anyone coming into the country from that date would need to go into um, isolation for two weeks on arrival. So we kind of knew it. We were kind of hoping my mother wouldn't actually insist, but she did. (laughs) So, um, you know, we arrived on the 9th or 10th of March and went into isolation for two weeks. and while we were in isolation, the whole country and the whole world went into lockdown. Yeah. And the interesting thing was, yeah, the power of the practice. Yeah, because where the mind was going from the first moment and throughout was to gratitude, appreciation, yeah, looking at the good. Yeah. Not poor me, but isn't it amazing that we have a place where we can self-isolate? Yeah. Isn't it amazing that we can work online? Yeah. Isn't it amazing that the sun is shining? Yeah. Isn't it amazing that my mum and sister are looking after us and bringing us food and everything we need? Just going towards that. Yeah. And we can see that, that power, yeah, of that in the moment and over time, yeah, we see the fruits um, of the practice. And so we see that, yeah, in kind of the objects, what we're paying attention to, but also in the way of relating, yeah. Because sometimes, or a lot, what we are conditioned to pay attention to are the objects in attention, not the way we're relating to them, right? So again, we've been going on and on about this over the days, and I'm afraid that we will continue to do so. (laughs) Because this is so crucial for us. To see, to understand, to experience. Yeah. So I remember after many years of practice, it's embarrassing to say how many, so I will not, I also don't remember. I just remember that it was many. Yeah. Noticing one day yeah, that when I was distracted in meditation practice and I would bring my attention back to the anchor, one day I suddenly noticed how I was doing it. So for years, the focus was, okay, I'm paying attention to my breath. And then one day, it's like, but actually, I should also be paying attention to how I'm relating. Because what I could see was how much harshness there was. 
when I was noticing distraction, it was like, back. Yeah? Yes. So harsh. Yeah? So harsh. And of course, you know, not a great thing to practice. Yeah? Not a great thing to practice, but also, how does that shape the experience? So we can see, as we open more awareness of ways of relating, we start to see them in places that we didn't see before. So where our attention goes, and how, what objects does it go to? What does it filter out out of all the possibilities? And the ways that we relate to experience, that is all conditioned. It's conditioned, conditioned by our biology, um, conditioned uh, by our human history, conditioned by our personal history, conditioned by our societies. Conditioned. And so we can say we have habits of attention. We have habits of attention. But we also have possibilities to expand beyond those habits. And that's what we're doing here. There's habits and there's the possibilities to expand, to develop, to grow beyond um, those habits. Possibilities of freedom. So through our practice, we want to expand the range of what we notice. We want to expand the range of what we notice. And we want to expand the range of what we can sustain attention with. Because those two are not the same. As meditators, we know that. We can notice the breath. But then sustaining attention with it is something else. It's another skill that we develop. So we want to expand the range of what we notice. We want to expand um, the capacity to sustain attention. And we want to do all of that towards more sensitivity and more subtlety. So we're expanding the range, and as it's expanding, naturally going towards more sensitivity in the system, being aware of more frequencies and more aspects of experience including the more subtle um, ranges, the things that we don't normally notice. And this is part of what we mean by expanding the heart. We're expanding uh, the heart-mind's capacity to be sensitive and to know a wider range of experience. So we have you know, habits of attention. Some of them uh, you know, received a lot of uh, um, attention from the scientific community, so they have names, and, and they're kind of fun, I think, you know, like the confirmation bias, you know, the fact that we notice things that um, support and confirm our underlying views and expectations. Yeah. It's, it's kind of good to know yeah, that that's happening. Um, or the negativity bias, which you've mentioned, you know, notice more that which is not okay than that which is. Yeah. We notice it more, we give it more um, weight, we think it's more real, yeah. we think it's more important, yeah. that which is not going well, that which is not okay. Yeah. 
And again, it's helpful to know that. Helpful to know that. So if if we're feeling, you know, um, yeah, something's a little bit challenging or a lot challenging, just the remembrance of that it's not the only thing that's happening right now. In a way that's compassionate and caring for ourselves, doesn't devalue, just has a sense of, ah, this is a habit of the mind, to give it more substance, to give it more reality. It's not the only thing. You know, to remember this is where humor can be helpful. This is a, you know, it's quite amazing, you know, what science is saying. This is a habit that was formed in the human mind from hunter-gatherer times. We think, wow, so many years, so many generations, and it's still there. I don't know, it blows my mind. Comes from the times, you know, when really we had to be really very vigilant about, um, you know, is something lunch? Or are we going to be that something's lunch? Yeah. Is this lunch or am I lunch? Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, it, it, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a higher risk <laughs> around becoming lunch. So it takes more of the weight. And so we see these old patterns, these old habits of attention that are still playing out in us. Um, and yet the life conditions have changed. And so um, kind of being aware of that and maybe having a sense of, ah, I'm not intentionally going to keep feeding that. Not intentionally. Yes, it will happen unintentionally some of the time. But when I bring an intention, can I kind of not keep feeding it? And again, this is where, yeah, you know, we really, it's really helpful to remember there's an object and attention and a way of relating to that object. And this means possibilities. So the mind is drawn to something, there's a way of relating. We can shift, we can play with those uh, quite a lot. So the training we're doing here, the practices we're doing here, we can say they're a training of the mind towards more balance, more balanced view, more choice, and an increase in things like flexibility, like pliability, like malleability of the mind, softening the rigidity of the habits, softening the rigidity of the habits, the habits of attention, the habits uh, of ways of relating. I have to say, I love that word, malleability. Every time I say it, I want to go like that. You know, like having a piece of clay or mud, you know. It's like, yeah, duh. Yeah, that feeling. And just having a sense, that's what we're doing to our mind. You know, we're we're like, you know, taking it back to the mud pies from the other day. (laughs) We're, We're kind of massaging it and making it more flexible. Like taking an old a piece of play-doh that's gotten a bit dry and hard and kind of reinvigorating it and getting it more fluid. That's what we're doing. Because change is possible. Change is possible. If we look at the world, if we look at experience, we know that it happens all the time. 
Change happens all the time. And so it's possible, particularly with a mind, a heart-mind, that is shaped by its own activity. This heart-mind is shaped by its own activities. I think I quoted this maybe yesterday. Sorry, my sense of time is really weird on this retreat, so I think it was yesterday, but whenever it was. Whatever the practitioner ponders and thinks about, that becomes the inclination of the mind. The mind is shaped by its own activity. By what we pay attention to, how we pay attention And so through practice, you know, we open up that range, we expand the range, we shape um, our habits, the biases of the mind, the grooves of the mind, to align with our intentions towards, as we've been doing here, appreciation, kindness, interest. It's not just words or concepts, qualities, attitudes of our minds, and we can shape the mind to be more malleable and flexible, but also to have grooves that go towards that. And as we do so, you know, bringing more well-being, less ill-being, into experience, both for ourselves and for the world. So today, yeah, We've been um, turning attention to Vedana. And we've also been uh, doing the Medita practice uh, towards the neutral relationships. Is that what Nathan called it in the guided? He called it the neutral relationship? The in between. The in between. I have to check. Those relationships that are not particularly, and we don't feel particularly friendly or unfriendly. So we've been really kind of touching on that whole range of our experience of the in-betweens, the neither nor. I sometimes call it the uneventful. And these are all movements away from habitual um, attention patterns. I think we can agree on that. Right? We don't habitually tend to give attention to the in-between. Whether the in-betweens, whether it's um, you know, in our body, um, whether it's in our mental life, um, whether it's in our relationships. And so as we practice in these ways, as we practice in these ways, we're expanding the range of what the mind can do. And we're developing the capacity to sustain attention um, with more subtle aspects of experience beyond where the mind usually goes. Yeah. And it's, this is really, really cool <laughs> and interesting to do. Now as we're doing this, we're cultivating wholesome ways of relating as well. Yeah. So bringing attention to... Um, the in-betweens, the neutral, the neither, nor, the uneventful, whichever way we want to call it. And, uh, and then sustaining the attention there with kindness and with interest, which are wholesome ways of relating. 
And then that increase as we do that, the pliability, the range, the flexibility, malleability um, of perception and of the mind. So nice to pause. <laughs> So what happens when we pay attention to the in-between, like we just did now? We paused and paid attention to the silence. When we attend to the neither nor the neutral, when we bring interest to it. One thing we might notice is the neutral changes, the in-between changes. Um, This is true of uh, relationships. A few examples. I remember sitting here on retreat a few years ago, and uh, I was sitting there. Christina Feldman was sitting here. And she said um, to us that she had made a resolution that year, I often quote it, that she would have no neutral people in her life. Yeah. No neutral people in her life. That was the resolution. Yeah. It gives me chills when I say it. Yeah. That sense, that commitment yeah, of befriending, of having a sense of interest and kindness in anyone and everyone. And the interesting thing is that um, if you do uh, metta or medita or compassion practice and you sustain that for a period of time with an in-between relationship, yeah. And you know, I may be I may be killing it for you by telling you this, but I don't think I am. What you will notice is that your relationship to that person or being changes. Yeah. Sometimes it can be embarrassing. I remember a friend telling me that they had been practicing um, for a while, yeah, I don't know, a few weeks or a month, um, with like the the neutral pers- um, relationship was a friend of a friend that they didn't kind of meet very often. They had no particular uh, sense of friendliness or unfriendliness towards. And they'd been practicing um, with that person as the neutral person for a while. And then they met up, uh, you know, in a social situation. And the person who was telling me this was like, they were like, so happy to see the other person. Like, this was one of their closest friends. And the other person thought, this is a little bit (laughs) weird. You know? Why? (laughs) So, you know, to that degree, to that degree, that relationship changes. And it's interesting to see to what degree this is in the way of relating and what it says about how flexible our minds are. Remember, shaped by their own activity. Shaped by their own activity. So yeah, true in the relational field, um, also experience changes, um, you know, with kind of in the realm of our own experience, the relational field with our experience. So um, if you uh, spent 
sometime with an uneventful aspect of your experience, you know, with the earlobes, the inside of the elbows, um, you may have noticed that it stops being neutral. It stops being neither nor. Usually it becomes, because of the interest, uh, it becomes pleasant to some degree. And this is really interesting for us. To experience this, and both to keep honing that skill, and to milk the insight out of it. Two really valuable things. One is, you know, lots of things in our lives we have no control over, lots of conditions. More we can increase the range of what we can attend to with interest and kindness and friendliness, yeah, the more resource we will have. Yeah. The more resource we will have. So it's really, really significant. Also, yeah, the insight again, again, that sense, the way of relating shapes. It's not in the thing. It's not in the thing, it's in how um, we are relating to it, and that can be changed. Yeah. That's possibility. Not always instantaneous, not kind of necessarily immediate or easy, but over time, these possibilities, these two behind me, yeah. embodiments of that possibility. Kuan yeah. Yin, embodiment of compassion, boundless compassion, Buddha. So there are deep insights here for us and deep possibilities. Understanding and seeing into an experiential understanding of how our experiences are fabricated, constructed, shaped. Seeing deeply, understanding perception and its fluidity. Our perception is shapeable and it dependently arises. Dependently arises. So what we perceive is often, you know, just a possibility. It's not the only, it's not the only possibility. The Buddha spoke of uh, deep states of samadhi, you know, a word we've mentioned. state of unification and harmonization and well-being. And at its depth, a deep state of samadhi, he spoke about these deep states as perception attainments. That's one of my favorite phrases in the teachings. Attainments of perception. Pointing to the fact that we get there by playing with perception, by honing perception. And these states of deep well-being, these perception attainments, also open up deep insight. They teach us about perception. And so this is true about deep states of samadhi. It's also true about any degree of practice of samadhi like we're doing here. It teaches us something about perception. We tune in to well-being, or we tune into the pleasant, lo and behold, there may be more than we thought there could be. Yeah? And where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? To 
dependently arising, shaped by the activity of the mind. So when we turn attention to that which is going well, to the pleasant, to the enjoyable, and we do it again and again, we've been doing it for a few days now, (laughs) we do it again and again, whether we're doing it through the way we're breathing, through sound, through metta, through medita, as we're doing that, we are changing the habits of our mind. We're playing with perception. We're opening opening up avenues of insight as well as increasing that malleability and flexibility. When we turn attention to that which usually goes unnoticed, the in-betweens, we are subtilizing attention and perception. We are sensitizing the mind. Becoming more sensitive, more subtle. Because attention also moves along a spectrum of subtlety, as do objects. So we're subtilizing and sensitizing the mind, and we are kind of massaging and kneading, kneading the habits of attention. And when we do this with an emphasis on nourishing well-being, on relating to experience with interest, with kindness, with appreciation, cultivating wholesome ways of relating. And we're expanding possibilities of freedom. Expanding possibilities of freedom. In the moment and into the future over time. I think that's what I had to say today. Let's have a quiet moment to close.